It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Hey, I saw on the Today Show about this fear running group. They're out of Milwaukee. And it just kind of inspired me to do a little research on them. And I didn't realize Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities still in America. And this running group, FEAR, which stands for Forget Everything and Run, is trying to change that. They're trying to diversify, intentionally diversify the sport. I remember reading about them. Yeah. You know, in uh, Runner's World. Is Milwaukee Laverne and Shirley's? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's really fun. They meet in a parking lot. They do a warm up. They do like um, a fun pose, and then they have a caption that says your, your favorite crew edit again, and then they post it to Instagram. I wonder if they meet at different locations or if it's always the same one. Yeah, I it didn't really it didn't say you know. Well, with COVID, it's probably yeah. This all is up in the air, right? And I guess the poverty rate uh, in Milwaukee is four times higher than white residents. Hmm. And the city continues to have one of the nation's widest racial disparity across health, education, and neighborhood integration. I just love that these people kind of got together and are trying to encourage the, everybody running together. Something positive. Yeah, something together. really positive. Which usually is a predominantly white Ex- sport when I go to events. I it's Right. Yeah. I mean, back when amateur running took off in the 70s, this sport was kind of seen as a luxury mm-hmm. sport. and. Many, like, marginalized communities just weren't safe to run in. Yeah. And so, one, I love this. The, the, one of the founders, uh, Tanya Fisher, she started running. She was 12. And she really relates to that isolation she felt kind of as a lone black runner. Mm-hmm. And, her, you know, her hope is that people, when someone's driving by and see this diverse group running, that maybe a young person's thinking to themselves, you know, one day I, I could do I'm, that. I'm going to do that. And if it just inspires one person, right. then she would probably argue that it's worth it. So I'm I sure thought, they have inspired more than one person, but. Right. I thought that was really. Very cool. Very, yeah. Fun. Definitely feel good. Feel good story. Sticking with our Black History Month, another person I wanted to learn more about was John Lewis. I'd seen him on TV and in the news and heard lots of his lots of praises, but I really didn't know any of the details about his life. John Lewis was an American civil rights leader and politician, probably best known for his chairmanship of a student nonviolent coordinating committee, also known as the SNCC, and the Civil Rights Movement March in Selma, Alabama. He was born February 21st, 1940, near Troy, Alabama. He had a large family, six brothers three sisters. His parents wow. were sharecroppers. And I love this. They taught him to be fair and kind to everyone. Uh, growing up in the South, he regularly saw signs that said white men, colored men. And he'd ask his parents and grandparents, why? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they told him, ignore them and, and, and said, don't get into trouble. Don't get in the way. I think you had to worry if you had, of course, they didn't want their black child to get in trouble with the law because they might lose their life. Right, exactly. 
very valid fear. I yeah. totally get it. And and they, they didn't want to rock the boat. John knew, though, in his heart he had to do something. And in 1955, he heard Dr. King on the radio. And he felt as though he was speaking to him personally, saying, you, to John Lewis, can do something. And I wonder was, if it was a, like, what it was that he heard on the radio. I didn't even know that, besides his regular speeches. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure what the what speech it was. And then also, he was inspired by Rosa Parks' um, protests, which set off the boycott. Right. Yeah, the Montgomery buses. So the, That we definitely know about. We know about that. Yeah. And this had a profound impact on him, and he wanted to find a, a way to get in the way. When he went off to American Baptist College, his mother told him to be particular. And, hmm. and she meant... Be careful and don't get into trouble. I wonder what made him pick a Baptist college. Well, because he, he got a degree in mm-hmm. um, philosophy and religion. Oh, okay. And I think mm-hmm. he wanted to be a pastor. Yeah, but probably found another calling yeah, like, I saw, with the civil rights movement. Right. I saw, this was on a PBS special, but they were his sister was saying he would preach to chickens when he was a little <laughs> kid. So it was something that he felt, you know, it was felt in his heart. So cute. That's really cute. But, you know, with all that being said, you know, with his mom's recommendation, that didn't deter him. He got into trouble, which we now later know the coin got into good trouble. Yeah. While at college, he became involved with peaceful, nonviolent protests and sit-ins and started attending nonviolent workshops led by pacifist Reverend James Lawson. I thought this was hmm. fascinating. His, these workshops taught students the theory and philosophy of being nonviolent and tactics on how to respond with nonviolence. And was that the same like thing that Rosa Parks attended? I'm the not same sh- speaker? I'm not sure if it's the same mm, okay. speaker. Okay. Yeah. So he was inspired by that and John Lewis' first lunch counter protest was at the local Woolworths in Nashville. He and a, about a hundred he and other students protested in an orderly manner. They'd read They'd sit peacefully all day, you know, for several days. Mm-hmm. And white people around were stunned. And they even would spit on John and his fellow protesters or blow cigarette smoke in their face. Yeah, yeah it's awful. But this protest electrified the community, the black community. And soon over 100 black college students were, protest- were participating in the nonviolent sit-ins at lunch counters throughout Nashville. So they were just sitting there because they weren't supposed to be sitting there. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. And, of course, they were arrested for disorderly conduct, even though they were very peaceful. Yeah. I, well, I read that he was arrested more than 40 times. Yeah. Yeah. So, for a peaceful, nonviolent man... He sure got arrested, arrested a lot. Yes. He just, did. It's very... I mean, it tells you something. Yeah. But he later wrote this, that Nashville, excuse me, prepared him. And if he hadn't been for his experiences in Nashville, he wouldn't be the person he is today. I thought that was interesting. That really had an impact on him. And then in 1961, he participated in the Freedom Rides, which the goal was to have black and white students sit side by side Mm -hmm. uh, in the front of the bus and ride from D.C. to New Orleans. It just is crazy to me that that was even a thing. Right. That they had to fight for that. Right. Right. I just, I mean, my kids would not get that at all. I Crazy. Well, and they were met with attacks, and I think the bus even got bombed. So many people thought it wasn't a good idea, but John Lewis got support from Robert Kennedy and then the Alabama State Troopers, and he decided to go ahead and proceed with it. The ride started in Birmingham, 
with an with a police escort, but by the time they got to Montgomery, the police had abandoned them. So John and the other riders, when they got off the bus, they look around. It's really quiet, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, about a hundred people rush them, rush them, uh. and attack them. But I love this. John John Lewis said, "Don't run, stand still, and let's hold hands." Mm. But. A, but apparently this attack lasted two hours. But really, doc- this the Freedom Rides really documented that many southern states were ignoring the Supreme Court, which mandated the, with, yeah. the desegregation yeah. of bus terminals. And this was key to getting, uh, at the time, Attorney General Robert Kennedy to push for new regulations and fines up to $500. Now, back then, that's a lot mm-hmm. of money to end the segregation of bus terminals. And this is another sad note. Apparently, because of that, you know, Lewis had gotten arrested, and he missed his graduation from college because he was in jail. In jail. Mm-hmm. It really speaks to the kind of person he was. Was and the sacrifices yeah, he would make that he made. I saw. I was watching the Robert F. Kennedy, just a documentary on uh, Netflix, and John Lewis was making some notes about Robert Kennedy and just how much he admired, in his words, Bobby's drive for equal rights. Right. So hearing John Lewis say that about, you know, this young white guy, I just, I loved. Yeah. So Lewis continued his uh, civil rights advocacy, and in 1963 was elected as the chairman of the SNCC, where he then, then led the charge to register um, African-American voters. On March 7, 1965, he played a pivotal role with uh, Dr. King and Lieutenant Jose Williams, where they led 600 peaceful demonstrators on a march uh, in support of voting rights. The goal was to march from Selma to the Capitol, mm-hmm. just to create awareness. Yeah. What's amazing... For the voting rights? Is that, yeah, they... Thought that they had these freedoms. Right. But with the voters, I mean, we still are working with voter suppression. Yeah, I mean, they had rights since 1870. But but not really. Not really. And still to this day. Right. Not really. And so as they made their way over the Edmund uh, Pettus Bridge, marchers saw the police waiting for them on the other side. Mm -hmm. And Dr. King stopped and led them in prayer and then turned the procession around when the law enforcement ordered them to halt. So, and then the troop, the troopers advanced. So it's amazing to me the picture of peace. I've seen the pictures. I can't and watch the movies. They're just advanced. You know, yeah. they advance on these peaceful marchers. They yeah. tear gas them. They attack them with bull whips and billy oh, clubs. Yeah. I mean, bloodied. Bloody. I mean, John Lewis's skull was fractured. Right. I read. Right. Yeah. Over fifty marchers were hospitalized, including John Lewis, and even with his skull fractured he was still able to talk to television reporters before going to the hospital and then many americans watched this on tv and it became known as bloody sunday mm-hmm. and but this this demonstration led to the voting rights act which was signed into law by president johnson so on august 6 1965 so well i had read that 50 of those marchers were hospitalized um and like you said John Lewis had, you know, a skull fracture, and even being bloodied, he was pleading on television for Lyndon B. Johnson to please do something. Right. And what's amazing to me is that these marchers, what were they doing? That I mean, absolutely nothing right. wrong. To right. What would have I don't I inflict don't that kind of violence response, on them? No. The response for that. No. Just finally, uh, John, he, John Lewis continued to fight for civil rights as a senator where he fought for health care and mm-hmm. immigrant rights. And for the rest of his life, really continued to encourage black people to stand up for their rights and to get into good trouble. 
I love that. Get into good, good trouble. trouble. Yeah. I try to avoid all trouble because conflict is just out of your comfort zone. Right. But I, I did also want to note that I read that in 48 hours after he was viewed on that, I read that 80 cities would have demonstrations in support. So even that was terrible. Right. What was happening, it kind of took that for people to see how these people were being treated, which is absolutely ridiculous and very sad. But at the same time, it at least got people... Got the momentum. Mot- yeah, yeah, going to the, do something. Right, right. I think with all the adversity he faced, it's truly a beautiful and amazing, you know, what came out of that. What changed yeah. came out of his... Well, and think if he had listened to his mother and stayed out of trouble where, you know, we wouldn't be as far as we are. Right. I mean, we have a long ways to go, but we wouldn't be where we are now without... John Lewis. Exactly. For sure. Yeah, I just love his optimism and courage. Just that respect that his parents instilled with him mm-hmm. at a young age. And his ability to, to reach across the aisle. Yeah. Well, I think it's telling with his, sadly, with his passing and that at his funeral, the memorial service with Pelosi, Clinton, Obama, and Bush were all there to pay their respects. He was the first African-American to lie in the rotunda of the Capitol. I mean, he just, he's led this country, turned us in the right direction. And I think we need to honor him and just keep on moving peacefully and with integrity and a loving heart, for sure. Absolutely. I loved my favorite thing that I, I am embarrassed to say, and I will say this too with my next one, with all of these that I'm learning about people that I I am so naive and ignorant about a lot of stuff. And I didn't know much about John Lewis until, um, well, actually when Trump started attacking him. And so I kind of started looking into who was this John Lewis? Everybody knows about Martin Luther King Jr. But it wasn't until Trump's attacks, which I guess are good in a way, because then it made me educate myself on who was this John Lewis that he said that, you know, he had been beaten and the Bloody Sunday and one part about him attending a Comic-Con and he dressed in his Bloody Sunday march attire so that they wow, knew yeah. um, because he had gone to one before and, and they were like, well, who are you? And I love that Lou Fringo waited in line to get to meet the John Lewis. And I just think that those different worlds combining and coming together, he went there to continue to spread his message right. of peace and marching on and just keep going forward, keep going forward, I thought was, um, I just thought was neat. So sad because you, you was here today. You just, what else could he accomplish and the change we might see? Back history, I guess, uh, he was sick on a plane on 2018, but then got a clear bill of health. And then on December 2019, diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Aww. I know. Which and I just, I hoped he, you know, Jimmy Carter just keeps going, just keeps right. going. RBG just kept going. And I was hoping that John Lewis was going to just keep going. Just, yeah. But unfortunately, he passed away uh, July 17, 2020. Um, I love that at his request, the day of his funeral, he asked for this to be published in the New York Times. And like I said, I didn't know much about John Lewis before Trump, so I probably should thank Trump that he did attack him the way that he did and wouldn't acknowledge his memorial and, and all of that because it did make me curious with who this man was. But on the day of his funeral, he had this published. Though I may not be here with you, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. 
In my life, I've done all I can to demonstrate that the way of peace, the way of love, and nonviolence is the more excellent way. Now is your turn to let freedom ring. I just think that's so eloquent. Right, so beautiful. Yeah, and just a perfect way to tie up his whole... Uh, his whole life, right? Just in that in that paragraph, just to keep it going, in a peaceful, loving, expect higher standards of yourself, in all that you do. I, love I just it. loved it. Yeah. So my happy find for the our John Lewis week, who are. You know, national icon and civil rights hero is actually two parts. The first was black equestrian named Marcel Collymore. Oh. And I saw this news clip with him and his horse, Mona Lisa, which I think is the most adorable name ever for a horse. But they were taking part in a Juneteenth parade. And uh, this was actually last year, so 2020. And when he did the prayer for guidance and protection for all of the writers that were participating in the parade, I just thought he sounded like a very, a new John Lewis or a new Martin Luther King Jr. who's just praying for guidance and protection and support and um, to get the word out. This was June 19th, which Juneteenth is hopefully going to be all of our states participating in, but it's uh, it's marked the day the federal order was in place to free the slaves on June 19th, 1865. So he starts the parade with his, his prayer, and he started writing to spend more time with his dad. Now he competes in ranch sorting. Oh, what's that? <laughs> which I had to look up. It I still don't quite understand, but it's like where two writers try to prod cattle along, and they're working against the clock. Oh. Okay. So he he was talking about how growing up he didn't see a lot of black cowboys and now he wants to set a good example so that kids coming up growing up will have someone to follow. And along with that I found a young lady named Aubriana Johnson who's helping that along in teaching people about the cowboys of the past. So um, she started a podcast called Mm. Young Black Equestrian, and she also has a blog called Black Unicorn Creative. And it's very cute. And, like, if you watch her, she's absolutely adorable and very passionate about her field. But she looks into the history of the rodeo and how she discusses how blacks and Hispanics, when they participated in rodeo events, they didn't get to do it until all of the guests and people had left the stadium and then they got to do their own little show. So I they got to practice their skills once all the guests had left, which I think is oh my gosh, yeah. Just crazy, but it you know, it's our history. She talks about two cowboys, Bill Pickett. And Tom Bass, have you ever heard of those two? I've not heard of them, no. So Bill Pickett was the son of a slave. He married a former slave, and he must have been known as Dusky Demon. He had nine children, which I thought was... Yeah, that's a lot of kids. Yeah, a lot of kids. But he was, you know, a black cowboy. He rode in the rodeo, and he was part of the Wild West show. But yet I had, had no idea who that was. And then Tom Bass was actually born to slaves. And he was an American saddle, he did American saddle breed horse wow. trainer. I'm not quite sure what that is, but in 1989, obviously well after his death, he was in, inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. So he obviously was very talented. He trained horses that were ridden by um, Buffalo Bill Cody. Oh, wow, cool. Theodore Roosevelt. Wow. Even cooler. Wow. And Will Rogers. So this guy knew his stuff, right? yet I had no idea who he was. So I love that. 
Aubriana Johnson is sharing stories to give historical recognition to these cowboys, these black cowboys that deserve it, that most of us haven't even heard of. And I also super love that she travels with her therapy horse, Aww. Encore, oh, cute. <laughs> to reach out to young people. So I think that's just a win-win in so many ways. I think what made me pick these two is the reminder that slavery isn't that far behind us. And both of the black equestrian, the black cowboys that she pointed out either were born into slavery or they just were not that far from it. And even after the Civil War, there was just so much disparity based on the color of your skin. So even if you were a super talented cowboy or whatever, you just weren't given fair treat at all. I love that both Marcel Collymore and Aubriana Johnson are giving proper equestrian history lesson. And both of them are looking to change the future. So they're trying to educate us about the past, right. which I love because yeah. we learn from we learn from history. But they're also looking ahead and encouraging the new generation 